Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, the ongoing war in Ukraine is creating problems for two major exporters of potash fertilizer. Prior to the conflict, Russia and its close ally, Belarus, accounted for 40% of global potash production. Both countries are going through challenges selling that product. Ken Seitz is Nutrien's chief executive officer. Nutrien has six potash sites in Saskatchewan and is in the process of expanding production at all three of those mines. He says while Russia has managed to skirt around European sanctions by moving more oil and natural gas to China and India, it's a much different story for potash, which is a bulk commodity. Farm Credit Canada is working with Indigenous peoples to expand agricultural ventures, both large and small. However, accessing capital from banks has been a major challenge for First Nations, and Farm Credit Canada wants to make that process easier. Sean Sunius, the Director of Indigenous Relations with FCC, will be with us. He says First Nations already have business experience in other economic sectors. After the break, Ken Seitz. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Ken Seitz is Nutrien's Chief Executive Officer. Uh, Ken, let's talk about the war in Ukraine and how it's having an impact on Russia and Belarus and their ability to export potash. The challenge for potash is that the supply chain infrastructure is just not there to turn on a dime and actually move the tons. While the Belarusians would love to be moving tons to China at a discount or India, the infrastructure is not there. So what we've seen now is it's a 7,000-kilometer journey from Belarus to the north of China. That's a long way. Our estimate is, like for example, the Belarusians have about 6,000 rail cars that they would typically use to get to the Lithuanian port with access to tidewater to get their potash overseas. In order to send meaningful quantities of potash to China via rail, which, by the way, is different gauge of track from country to country, so you've got to lift up your car and put it on a, a different carriage, undercarriage, that they would need 20,000 rail cars in order to move meaningful quantities. Today, for Belarus, they produce 12 million tons a year. They're probably moving, we think, about 100,000, 150,000 tons a month via rail to China. So, yep, some of that's happening, but the quantities are not meaningful. So what are the other challenges in Belarus and Russia with regards to replacing equipment at their mines? The equipment that they're running is mostly European. It's not Russian equipment. And so what we're finding is that while the international community has actually not sanctioned potash or crop nutrients out of Russia, recognizing the food insecurity challenges that that might create, there's all these peripheral activities that are sanctioned. And like I say, it started with logistics. Now it's moved on to maintenance parts for those mines. The mines in Russia and Belarus can't get their hands on European parts. And so they're actually shutting down. So that this year we think Russian production will be down by up to 50%. And that Belarusian production will be down by up to 65%. 
In July, Nutrien announced uh, that it was acquiring 39 retail locations and 10 distribution centers from a Brazilian company. And the acquisition expands Nutrien's footprint in Brazil from five states up to 15. So let's talk about the supply side with Nutrien making major investments in Brazil uh, to sell more production. Brazil is one of the breadbaskets of the world. And when we talk about growing food production on the planet and feeding 10 billion people by 2050, half of that growth is going to come from Brazil. For those that have spent any time in agriculture in Brazil, it is one of the most impressive things that you can witness. And in terms of scale and and technique and uh, modern advancements, but also just the entrepreneurial spirit of the Brazilian farmer is something to behold. So why is it important to keep cost of production at the low end of the scale? Today, given what's going on in the world in Russia, Ukraine, but drought in China and and certainly some challenges in certain parts of Latin America at the moment, the farmer and and ag commodity pricing is really quite high. And the farmers here in Saskatchewan recognize that as well. So that even with crop nutrient pricing being where it is today, it's affordable for the grower. So that's one of the criteria that we need to check, obviously. Is this going to be affordable for the grower, and and are they going to buy it? The second one is, I mean, can we produce at a level that's competitive? Today, we would be in the bottom quartile of uh, production costs in the plant. That's something to be particularly proud of. And I think it's relevant when we talk to the business communities in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, because... We cannot lose that competitive advantage in this province. We talked to the government of Saskatchewan about it a lot. It's a position that we've enjoyed, and it's been hard work and has required a particular amount of focus. But in a commodity space that goes up and down, you know, we want to be the last company standing, and it's therefore incumbent on us. And we have a responsibility to maintain that position on the cost curve. Now, the other focus for Nutrien has been sustainability uh, through Nutrien Egg Solutions. The company has a carbon pilot program with some 700,000 North American acres enrolled. Uh, tell us about that. You know, as it relates to carbon, we're talking to the farmer today about cover cropping, and we're talking about our own slow-release nitrogen fertilizers, which when you put it on the ground, there's a polymer coating that releases the nitrogen into the plant so that less is volatilized into the atmosphere. We're working with growers on cover cropping, on zero tillage, and we're working with them on variable rate um, crop nutrient technology where we're the largest soil sampling lab in North America. We're sampling soils. We're telling the farmer what's inventoried in their soils. We provide those scripts to their John Deere equipment that has variable rate technology and we're achieving what's called 4R stewardship. So just making sure we're putting down the right crop nutrients in the right place, at the right time, in the right quantity. So obviously this is not a quick or easy process. Uh, A key will be gaining consumer trust through third-party certification of these sustainable agricultural practices. When those certifications are real and established, and this is going to take time, right? This is going to take another 10 years that the, the consumer then can look at, if it's that box with the, with the QR code on the back, and have faith that those certifications are real, that indeed this box of rice was grown sustainably, or that pound of meat, or you know, that durum, or whatever it may be, that 
hopefully over time we see that trust peace improve but i think it's going to take more than just us living our values at some point agriculture became you know a dirty word and farming became a dirty word and i think it's a bit of a tragedy because farmers are good stewards of the environment they really are and they're too concerned about what it is that we're doing to the planet hence the big uptake on our carbon pilot but it's going to take work to reestablish trust and there's a lot of noise out there, as you know. Ken Seitz is the president and CEO of Nutrient. After the break, Sean Sunius with Farm Credit Canada on helping Indigenous peoples to create business opportunities in the agriculture sector. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. Sean Sunius is the Director of Indigenous Relations with Farm Credit Canada. Uh, Sean, there is a desire to expand agriculture opportunities for First Nations, but we know there are challenges out there. Uh, Sean, but I think it's important that we mention that there are many First Nations who already have a lot of business experience in other areas. We see other sectors that have done very well, like mining, LNG, oil and gas. Some of those relationships have been around for decades now, and that's something that's fairly new to this sector. So we know our communities have experienced success and kind of went through all the learning processes in those other sectors. And I suspect that once they turn their lens to ag, they're going to be wanting to kind of go zero to 60, not waiting decades to kind of go from labor to owning companies and having very sophisticated operations and partnerships. What is FCC doing to gain a better understanding of future customers? We can, of course, use that information to provide a better customer experience and to know what people are looking for, know where the, the pressure points are and the opportunities might exist, and then being able to provide good data and analytics and kind of advice back to our Indigenous customers in the community broadly when it comes to how they can participate in ag and share ways that they can kind of build their successes. So how important is it to have a flexible definition of agriculture for Indigenous customers? We're confident that, you know, the changes to our lending side are making an impact. And there's quality assurance experimenting going on to make sure that we're making the impacts that we do. In terms of measuring impacts, we're probably four quarters away from being able to do that with great certainty because until this spring, we didn't have a a way to identify Indigenous clients. So unless I knew from somebody who made a loan, we just simply wouldn't know some of the great clients that we have, right? So we know anecdotally that things are working and, and, you know, of course, we're tracking things that are net new loans and customers. But if we're looking back, it's a little hard to discern that right now. But, you know, that's our hope in the, you know, the next couple of quarters that we'll have a a much greater understanding of our Indigenous customer base and, and what that looks like. So there is still obviously a lot to learn on both sides. We know a lot of our communities have the arable land in the West, and in particular Saskatchewan, Alberta, there's fast tracks around water, our communities are stewards over, but lots of reserves are northern communities, and that maybe presents a barrier to, to some of those folks understanding what the opportunities in ag might be if they, you know, lots of people look at grains in the, in the field and livestock on the land and think that's, that's agriculture, but it's, of course, much deeper than that, and we've got lots of communities that are well-positioned to forestry and non-timber forest products as well. So things like wild rice and medicines and herbs and berries and, and different kind of you know, mushrooms 
So there's a host of things that, you know, we hope to you know, open up in terms of business on opportunities on that side. Do you see that Farm Credit Canada is going to be able to offer small and large loans to Indigenous customers? You know, we've got folks, you know, that qualify, say, for our starter loan, and they're young person that wants to grab maybe five cows to, to start uh, an operation all the way to massive investments with huge companies that are exporting internationally, right? So everything from across that spectrum is in our kind of wheelhouse when it comes to lending broadly. So we're not restricting or focusing any one area on Indigenous because we know we already have a broad array of folks, whether it's wild rice or maple syrup or the big irrigation projects in Canada, fisheries, and, and et cetera. So, and, and we suspect we'll see more innovation and creativity as capital markets open up in terms of things like seaweed and uh, you know other fisheries and, and things that perhaps we can't put a finger on because we, we haven't allowed that innovation to take place. That's Sean Sunius, the Director of Indigenous Relations with Farm Credit Canada. This is the Agriculture News and Review for the week of October 10th, 2022. Alberta Agriculture reduced its 2022 wheat estimate by 1%. That widens the gap between production forecasts by Statistics Canada and the Ministries of Agriculture in Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. The provincial estimates include on-the-ground information from local crop reporters, while the StatsCan numbers are based on data obtained via satellite. The new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada unveiled his shadow cabinet. And as expected, Alberta Conservative MP John Barlow was named the shadow minister for agriculture. Barlow had been the critic under previous leaders. Associate Shadow Ministers of Agriculture are Regina Louvan MP Warren Steinley and Richard Lahou from Quebec. The new Shadow Cabinet will make its first appearance in the House of Commons on October 17th. Barge companies are starting to declare force majeure as the Mississippi River levels continue to drop. A force majeure is declared when unforeseeable circumstances prevent the fulfilling of a contract. U.S. farmers will begin their fall fertilizer season, and shipping delays could cause some problems for them. Fertilizer giant Nutrien said it's working on expanding potash production in Saskatchewan. The Saskatoon-based company has set a goal of 18 million metric tons annually by 2025, up from the current capacity of 15 million tons. Nutrien said the focus is on the Vanskoy, Allen and Lanigan mines for the additional production. The company has six potash mines in the province and employs 4,000 people. The U.S. Department of Agriculture released its WASD report for October and soybeans received the bulk of the market reaction. Although corn and wheat yield projections were relatively in line with analyst expectations, it was the lower soybean yield at 49.8 bushels per acre that had the market responding with futures 20 cents across the nearby months lower. Corn traded relatively flat after the report while the wheat contracts traded down. There will be new research trials to better understand the role that oats play in disease prevention. The federal government will provide up to $106,000 to the Prairie Oat Growers Association. The research will happen at St. Boniface Hospital Research Centre in Winnipeg. The goal is to determine how oat protein is digested and the effect on reducing cholesterol and blood glucose levels. 
This is part of the process needed to make a health claim that oat protein can positively affect cholesterol and blood glucose. Olds College of Agriculture and Technology is launching a new agriculture communications certificate. This is the first communications program in the country, and it will deal with the fundamentals of marketing and communications and strategic planning for social media, public relations, and crisis communications. The one-year program will be available online and will focus on writing, videography, photography, marketing, and audio production. Students will complete a 14-week internship within the agriculture and agri-food industry. Applications for the program are open with 20 students being accepted for the fall of 2023. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.